Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning again here and online. Uh, you know, when we get together, I know that it can become routine or something that we just do. And oftentimes we have to intentionally make ourselves receptible. Does that make sense? Where we have to kind of reframe it. It's like when you're doing something new for the first time, there's an excitement there. Or if you're going somewhere that you don't go to regularly, like a a baseball game or something like that, there's an excitement that's there. But when you do something all the time, it can become routine. And when it becomes routine, a lot of times we can put it in cruise control and an autopilot and miss the opportunities that are available here for us. And I don't want us to do that here, those who are watching. And so sometimes being mindful of that allows us to at least be aware of ourselves. And uh, if we are drifting, if we are, you know, becoming, you know, distracted by, oh, did I, you know, forget to lock the door or whatever. And so I want to be mindful of that as we lean in and as Randy gets ready to come forward uh, to sing, that we be able to press into the opportunities available for us emotionally as well as spiritually, as well as us even here physically. Uh, So let's pray. Father, it would be tragic if life became routine and not filled with meaning and with hope. And our desire as we gather together is to recognize purpose, value, love that is guiding, directing, and empowering us. Lord, may your spirit do that work within each of us who are here and those who are watching. May we be receptive and open to all the things that are possible through this time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. couple of things as we get started. I want to remind you about the need that is still in Haiti. Uh, and if you are able to donate towards uh, helping 
the students and their families and the teachers that uh, we have helped to support with through for a reason. Um, you can go to our website, thegenesisstory.com, and there is a tab where you can go to that will link you to For a Reason, and that will allow you to uh, donate towards Haiti. Again, it's an ongoing need. If you can contribute on a monthly basis, that would be helpful. Uh, they are estimating, of course, things change depending on how supplies are, but $100 a month would be able to provide basic food needs for a family that is there. And that's very basic. But if we could all get together, maybe we could help support a few families uh, with that for a month. Also, we have the Thanksgiving baskets that we are putting together for Foothill Family Shelter. I think we have like nine people signed up. Is that correct? And we said we were going to have 10 baskets. We told them we would have 10. So there's one more space open for you. Um, <laughs> we got 10. We got 10. Do I hear 11? Do I? No. Uh, hey, we can do more. And if you give more, great. Then we will put more together. I don't think they will tell us, oh, no, we, you said 10. Don't bring us 12, right? So um, if you want to contribute Towards that, we're asking for $50, and that will supply all the things necessary to put in that basket because they're asking for very specific things. And so we are going to have those donations, and then we are going to come down here. I think it's the November 6th, was it, and put the baskets together if you'd like to be a part of that. We'll, again, remind you on some of the social medias of that and what's happening uh, so that you can participate in that. And, again, thank you for everyone who has given um, also, next month, November 11th, Friday, November 11th, what are we doing? Turkey. Turkey. We're having a potluck, right? We're having a potluck at my house Friday this time. Friday, November 11th, 6 p.m., and I'm smoking a turkey. That sounds weird, but... <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I've been looking at recipes, and I'm excited about it because uh, I'm going to do it for my family as well on Thanksgiving, so you all are my guinea pigs, yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't turn out well, I won't do that recipe. Um, but anyway, hopefully you guys can all make it. We had a great time last month, and hopefully we can continue to do this once a month because it really is important for us to get together uh, and more than just here at like this time. Um, so anyway, those are some things that are happening. And again, uh, your contribution to Genesis is appreciated in the ways that we've mentioned in the past. Last week, we talked about the plagues in Exodus, and we we're going to be kind of going through Exodus again. And we talked about how that they were really attacks on the gods of Egypt, how there was a, a direct kind of confrontation between this God, Yahweh, and the gods of Egypt. And just to remind us in Exodus 12, starting at verse 12, it says, on that same night, this is the Lord speaking, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Remember, it is on the gods of Egypt. It is, it is, 
it, let me get this out. It is if, as if, man, I still can't do it even when I'm thinking about it. It's as if there really are other gods. That's how it is written, and that is most likely how it was thought. For I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destruction plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, as we talked about the plagues, we need to recognize that they are not the main focus of this story. Yeah, they're big, they're sensational, but that is not the point of this story. What this story or these stories are pointing to is the festival that the Hebrews would be recognizing and celebrating that we call Passover, Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And sometimes they're two different feasts and sometimes they're one, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. But that is the point. In fact, this last plague, there's just like a little verse that says, oh yeah, and this happened, and there was crying in Egypt. And then it goes immediately into all about the Passover, where there's a lot of detail. And I want to step into that detail this morning. And I think it's important for us to be able to stand back and ask some questions of this, as well as we ask questions of ourselves and our own faith. And, and a question I want to throw out to you guys here this morning is, for example, what does communion, the Lord's table, mean to you? What is that about? And, and as you Think about that, and as that's roaming around in, in your thoughts, maybe you have direct thought, oh, this is what it is to me. Maybe you're like, well, it's kind of this and kind of that. Keep that rumbling around in your head as we lean into this festival and its birth, at least being recorded here, and see how maybe things show up similar or how things might even change, right? Right? The important event is spelled out in detail, how it's supposed to be observed and what they are supposed to do. But there's a problem again. There's always these problems because there are different ways that are explained on how they're to observe Passover and they don't jive with one another. For example, in Exodus 12, it tells us that the lamb is to be roasted over a fire and not eaten raw or boiled. It also says that the meal is to be celebrated in everybody's household. This is how they are to observe Passover. Roast it. Don't eat it raw or boiled. I can't imagine eating raw lamb. That just seems wicked. But anyway, and even boiled does not sound as good as roasted. Maybe it's my smoking these days. But anyway, <laughs> that's how they're supposed to do it. And they're supposed to do it at home. But, but later on in Deuteronomy 16, it tells us that the lamb is to be boiled, not roasted. The exact opposite. And it also says that it is supposed to be eaten at the temple and not in their homes. And then 
You've got Chronicles that was written much later trying to kind of maybe put this all together. And it says that the lamb is to be roasted, but the other meats are to be boiled, right? And so there are these different versions of the story and it makes us wonder what's happening here. And to add to this, there is more confusion in that Exodus 12 through 13 and Leviticus 23 and Numbers 9, Passover and the festival of unleavened bread are separate celebrations. But then again, in Deuteronomy 16 and Chronicles, they are one event. And so there are all these things and you have to stand back and say, why are these so different? And not to keep beating a dead horse, or in this case, a dead lamb, but we are dealing with different traditions that are being presented together. These different stories are being preserved and presented. There was a time when I thought I had to sort these out. I am so thankful I don't have to anymore. It's not my job to make the Bible make sense of itself. And it's not your job either. Don't you feel relieved? I don't have to make the Bible make sense. Oh, good. And I say that with this relief of being able to actually enjoy what is being written and to wrestle with it. It was interesting as I was looking at this, I started reading from different rabbis of why there was a difference, right? Because if I I look to the Christian world, it's going to try and make things all nice and smooth. But the different rabbis have different traditions and they, you can go and look at, I'm not going to explain all the different ones that they had, but what they are doing is they are looking at the different passages and they are saying, this is what I think it says. And then another rabbi will say, well, this is what I think it says. And they don't agree with one another. And that's okay. Because it isn't clear. They're different. And so you're going to have different ideas because you're getting different information. And they wrote down information because they were living in different places at different times and they interpreted it in the way that made sense to them. Maybe one place had a lot of water to boil things. The other didn't. Who knows? I don't know. But it's okay In fact, that's what the rabbis would do is debate the meaning of the scripture and they got value from the discourse. What a novel idea. Now we do something similar in the Christian world. We call it denominations. The thing is our discourse isn't always civil, right? I mean, you've got Pentecostals who believe you have to speak in tongues. You have Baptists who believe that that is a gift that is not here today. You've got other, you know, Presbyterian and Catholic and Lutheran and all these different viewpoints. And essentially, it's the same thing. We have these scriptures that are so diverse and ambiguous sometimes that we see it and we read it. and We say, I think this means this. And someone says, well, I think it means this. And it's okay to have that discussion. We're not here to solve all of this and make everyone think the same. And it's important to be able to receive from someone who thinks different than you. 
there's not an exact interpretation of this that's to be held and just nothing else can be understood. It's supposed to be debated. And that's why you have these different traditions. And it's only when we become dogmatic and don't actually engage in the debate, but just throw scriptures at one another from behind our church walls that you have the problems that we have. I've said it before, Paul spoke more about unity than he spoke about justification or sanctification combined that you would be one. And he was talking about a whole Gentile world and a whole Jewish tradition, and he was bringing them together, not just even the same traditions. So that was something that was prevalent. That was something that was important. So what is the Passover about? What is this event? Now that I've just told you that it's unclear in a lot of areas, I'm going to try and tell you what it is, okay? And and so you take these things and you wrestle with them and you think them over. This is what I think they thought it meant as this was being written. And we'll see that things change throughout time. But in chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. What seems to lie at the heart of this passage is how generations would come to remember the Passover. How to answer when your children ask, what does this mean? It wasn't a step-by-step recounting of what happened, but it was a remembrance for their children, for the future generations. The Exodus story of the Passover is really about the importance of the past for later generations, connecting the two together so that the future children would see that they are connected to this family of the past through this ritual that we observe. And according to Exodus 12, 23 and 27, Passover refers to God passing over, sparing the Israelite households that have the blood of the lamb sprinkled on their door. That alone is what's going to spare the firstborn. Now think about this. The blood of a sacrificed lamb plays some sort of necessary protective role in keeping the Lord or often called the destroyer or in the Psalms, the destroying angels. Again, there's different things that are mentioned for this event, but it's meant to keep that from killing the firstborn. But remember in chapter four, and if you don't, I just have to have it right here. Chapter four, verse 22 It says, then say, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. 
And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. So it seems that previously, the plague was some kind of payback for what Pharaoh did to Yahweh's son, who is seen as Israel. So if that's the case, why would the Israelites' firstborn ever be in danger to begin with? And why do they need the blood of a lamb to keep God from killing the firstborn of Israel? And why wouldn't Yahweh continue to distinguish the Egyptians from Israel like he did all the other plagues and simply choose not to attack his own people? Couldn't he do those things? Why is this being presented here? And again, if you're expecting some cut clear answer, sorry. I wish there was an easy answer, but again, there's a lot of moving parts here because we have different voices, different traditions, and so we get to wrestle with them. Oh boy, how fun. And it kind of is, I think. But I think it boils down to this. The firstborn of all wombs, right, including Israelites, belong to God which means they are to be sacrificed as an offering to God. For example, in chapter 13 of Exodus, verse 11, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb all the firstborn males of your livestock belonging to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Nice, poor donkeys. And then redeem every firstborn among your sons. Uncomfortable words. Now, donkeys, you have to sacrifice them, but they're pretty... uh, important animals, beasts of burdens. They probably cost more. So you can redeem it. You can replace it with a lamb. But then it also says, redeem every firstborn among your sons. Now to make it a little bit more uncomfortable, all the way in Exodus chapter 22, starting at verse 29, do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle, your sheep. Let them stay with their mother for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. Now, what it's meant by give the firstborn of your livestock is clear. It's like giving them to be sacrificed. But your sons? That's a little scary. And I feel the need to remind us here that this is an ancient, diverse, and ambiguous book. If we do not recognize that, we are going to have some real problems with a lot of what is being said here, because it is by itself problematic. There are other places where we read that God will accept the tribe of Levi 
as a sacrifice for the firstborn. In other words, the whole tribe of Levi was supposed to be set apart for God for the service of the temple and now was considered the same as offering the firstborn. But understand that underneath this all is the idea that you have to give this sacrifice of your firstborn to the Lord. It is underneath the understanding, but there is a loophole that allows you to not kill the donkeys or kill your sons. And sometimes they're similar. Um, Which then brings a little bit more clarity to the story of Abraham and Isaac, why there is no fuss over God asking this because it was assumed that he could require it because that was something that was common or thought of common at this time. And yet we see a push to move away from this and God saying, I do not require this, but let's do this instead. And so that's how they saw what God was doing, trying to maybe make this point, that God has the right to claim humanity, but no longer requires it. Instead, remember, it all belongs to him. There is a move forward in this. And in the killing of the firstborn of Egypt, God is exercising God's right to the firstborn. And by accepting the blood of the Passover lamb as a substitute for the Israelites' firstborn, God is choosing not to exercise that same right. That's what the story is telling. I have the right to this, but you've given me this instead, so I won't take it. Now, that's a lot different than chapter four that says, hey, I got to do this because you're going to do this. You did this to my kids. I'm going to do this to you. Again, it's still very violent and it's still very ancient. And when they sacrificed the firstborn of their livestock and they redeemed their firstborn sons by celebrating Passover, the future descendants of these original Israelites will be taking part, so to speak, in the redemption of their ancestors. In other words, there is a connection between who we are today and those people we come from. We are connected. And us remembering this by offering this is showing that we are a part of their original offerings. We have descended from them because of what they had sacrificed. And so now we are alive because of that sacrifice. It's so interesting when we think about the past and where we come from. I think we are detached from it in so many ways. Friday, I spoke at a friend's retirement party and 
there was probably a few hundred people there. And and as I was speaking, I was telling, you know, about my experience working for him way back when. And I, you know, shared that I was employee of the month for 12 months straight. And then I shared with them that I was his first and only employee for that first year. And I made just, but remembering those things and, you know, having this nostalgia about them. And the business is super successful now. He's got an 80,000 square foot warehouse, you know, here in Upland uh, for the lumber that he he, uh, manufactures. Well, he doesn't anymore. He's retired. But it's turned into quite a business. And I remember when he first started the business, and it was just he and I there, he had mentioned that, you know, I want this business to be able to provide for other people. I want this business to be able to help bless, basically, those who would come after, you know, and be a part of that. And it has for, I don't know how many employees he has. And and so there was a remembering of what he started because I benefited from it. My family benefited. So many families have benefited from it and some are still benefiting from it. I am connected to this from all those times back and all the things that we did and all the stories we had and all the mistakes I made, the costly mistakes where I, I manufactured wood that we couldn't sell and they just kept in the yard there. He called them the bars of gold because they just cost us so much money. And I ended up getting rid of them and they ended up being the most expensive firewood that Cherokee had ever produced. And we laugh about it now because... It was then, and we are reaping all the dividends, the good times, and everything that's happened in the past. We lose something when we disconnect ourselves from where we've come from, both the good and the bad, right? If people have grown up in abusive households, they they need to remember not just the abuse, but that abuse had an effect on them. And if they don't remember that, that effect can continue. It's only when you recognize things that you're able to actually deal with them. And it comes from the good things too. I live where I live now because my mom helped me to get here. Because my family has supported me or maybe it was your friends, or whatever. We are here because of what has happened, and we can't detach ourselves from that. Now, jump with me to Jesus and what he does with the Last Supper. In Matthew 26, starting at verse 26, while they were eating the festival of unleavened bread, or Passover, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, it isn't that Jesus 
is stopping a destroying angel or angels or Yahweh from killing the firstborn again. He says that forgiveness is being poured out. And it's not just for the firstborn, but it says for many. And I think for many is meant to be inclusive, not exclusive, right? It's for many, but not all. No, I think it's meant to be for all. But we see there is a change that is happening from what Passover represented to what Jesus is now presenting. Because now it's something that he is giving. He is pouring his life out. Right? He would say, no one takes my life, but I give it freely. But then it says, God so loved that he gave. And again, we're, we're reading these things and trying to put them together. There's also a connection to the future until he drinks it new in the Father's kingdom. There is an anticipation for what is to come, not just a remembrance of what has happened. There is hope attached to this, just like this was supposed to bring hope to the Israelites. Remember way back when? Well, we come from there. In fact, in chapter 13, it ends with them taking Joseph's bones out of Egypt with them. What the heck is that about? It is them saying, we know who we are and we cannot separate ourselves from where we have come. And what we have in Jesus in the Passover where Paul in 1 Corinthians says, whenever you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death, you preach, you identify with, you connect yourself to what he has done. Jesus said, by this all men will know you are my disciples, by your love one for another. What is that? It is seen in his giving of himself and his pouring out of himself. It is seen by forgiveness. If you forgive men their trespasses, your father in heaven will also forgive you your trespasses. There is a connection to what he did and who he is that is now supposed to be a part of our identity. And this ceremony is living on, but it has evolved. It has changed. It has taken on a different meaning. And again, that's nothing new because it had different meanings even for them and how it was done and presented. But for us, even more so. I think the connection to the past is important to realize we, where we come from, the good, the bad, and Jesus through the Last Supper is doing just that. He is connecting us to the work that he did and he is telling us that he can't wait for it to come to this place of fruition when he will drink again from that fruit in his father's kingdom. Now that's a whole another place we could go to. But I, I think it is an amazing thing that this ancient story has reverberated throughout history and has evolved to a place where we still connect to what has happened, where we still see God at work, but now pouring out forgiveness, pouring out love, and connecting us to that to carry on into the future. 
so that those later on who come after us will look back at us and know that they are a part of the work that we have been building, which is now the kingdom of God and all that that entails. So I hope that that's hopeful to us. I hope that is something that challenges us. I hope your thought of the Lord's table can grow from this, right? I don't think communion was everyone sat together and they had a cracker and a cup of wine or juice. They had a meal together. That was communion. That's what Paul says. When you, after you eat, after the Lord ate, this is what he did. And it included the meal. And the whole point of Corinthians is you guys need to take care of each other because you're family. And that's what Jesus did. And the reason he says, if anyone eats or partakes of this in an unworthy manner, it means if anyone does this without consideration of those who are around them, you're messing up. Because that's the tradition that we hold on to, that we care for one another as we do ourselves. And that's what we want to leave, the legacy we want to leave for those who will come after us. Let's pray. Lord, there is so many things that cause question and provoke thoughts that we have to wrestle with through these stories. And I believe that that is good. I believe that that is necessary. I even think that is your intention in whatever way that shows up. And so I pray we would do just that, that we would look at these things, that we would struggle with them, and we would try and hear from them today the meaning that can bring hope for our future and connect us to what has happened before us. Lord, thank you again for opportunity. I pray that you would continue to garnish conversation amongst us. I thank you for the freedom to be able to ask questions and to not understand and to be okay with that. May we truly have that faith. And I thank you for this time we've had, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Again, I hope to continue this conversation with you guys here uh, as much as you want uh, right now. And for those of you who are watching online, again, I invite you to come down and participate in the conversations if you can. Um, may the forgiveness of Christ be poured out in your love. May you connect to what he is doing in your life and wants to do through your life into the future. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.